my friends. It's September 28, 2021. My name is Critch, and you are tuned in to Canadian Patriot Radio. And what a nightmare we are seem to be living through just by expressing our right to refuse experimental medical procedures. How does it feel to be discriminated and segregated against? <clears throat> Very interesting times we live in, my friends. To say the very least, <clears throat> what we are going to do in the pre-show is we are going to um, kind of focus on the fact that we know the booster shots are the next play. Um, uh, you're seeing an incredible amount of people now roll over and, and get get in line for their shots, and they're, go they're going to uh, start getting closer to the goals that they want. Uh, Joe Biden just announced the other day that he want things won't get back to normal in the U.S. until they see a 97% vaccination rate uh good luck with that i don't think you'll ever get that close but once they get to their threshold which i would assume would be closer to about 80 85 percent is when you're going to start seeing them roll out this uh this uh booster shot um <clears throat> the next play is the booster shots which will affect your um vaccine passports people don't want to know or admit that yet but that's exactly what the play is going to be you're going to end up having to get a shot every three months probably uh to maintain your vaccine passport but what we're going to get into in the pre-show is we're going to get into a um the expose article that basically gets into the dangers of of the covid boosters um this is by R uh, rhoda wilson and it was written on september 22nd 2021 it has one of those read-along things so we'll let it read to us Given that no clinical trials have been performed on more than two injections of any vaccine, it is important to understand how the COVID injections interact with the immune system and the implications for booster shots. In this document, we explain how several papers in 2021 significantly advanced our understanding of SARS-CoV-2 immunity, and therefore the science and safety of COVID-19 vaccines, that booster shots are uniquely dangerous, in a way that is unprecedented in the history of vaccines. That is because repeatedly boosting the immune response will repeatedly boost the intensity of self-to-self -self attack. Doctors for COVID Ethics Doctors for COVID Ethics are doctors and scientists from 30 countries, seeking to uphold medical ethics, patient safety and human rights in response to COVID-19. Below are extracts from their comprehensive analysis, the dangers of COVID-19 booster shots and vaccines, boosting blood clots and leaky vessels which we encourage all doctors and patients to read before promoting, delivering or accepting any further COVID injections. The COVID injection technology's interaction with the immune system creates the following four specific problems. Flying under the immune system's radar with the vaccine's genetic code, delivering the spike protein into the bloodstream, inducing immune attack on the blood vessel lining, enhancing the severity of natural infection. By now, most people have heard that COVID injections can cause blood clotting and bleeding. Eminent independent scientists and researchers in the fields of immunology and microbiology have been writing to medical regulators since early 2021, warning of vaccine-related blood clotting and bleeding, including that the official data on blood abnormalities post-vaccination likely represent just the tip of a huge iceberg. 
The good news is that we are more comprehensively protected against COVID by our own pre-existing immunity than was previously understood. On the other hand, this pre-existing immunity aggravates the risk that COVID injections will induce blood clotting and or leaky blood vessels. This risk must be expected to escalate with each repeated injection. Antibodies induced by the COVID injections can be expected to activate the so-called complement system. This can bring about the destruction of any cell that manufactures the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, a self-to-self attack, particularly in the circulation. If that happens to the endothelia, that is, the cell layer that lines the inner surfaces of our blood vessels, then those vessels may begin to leak and clots will form. Given that 2021 research showed the spike protein to enter the bloodstream shortly after vaccination, this dangerous endothelial involvement in spike production is highly likely and should be expected to occur. Booster shots are uniquely dangerous in a way that is unprecedented in the history of vaccines. This is because repeatedly boosting the immune response will repeatedly boost the intensity of self-to-self or autoimmune attack, including boosting complement-mediated damage to vessel walls. In addition to autoimmune attacks, antibodies to coronaviruses can enhance the severity of wild, or naturally occurring, coronavirus infection. This is called antibody-dependent enhancement of disease. Attempts to develop vaccines to the original SARS virus, which is closely related to SARS-CoV-2, repeatedly failed due to antibody-dependent enhancement of disease. The vaccines induced antibodies, but when the vaccinated animals were subsequently infected with the wild-type virus, they became more ill than the unvaccinated animals, in some cases mortally so. Vaccine manufacturers and regulators are aware of the risks of antibody enhancement of disease but have failed to adequately address it in the clinical trials on any of the COVID injections. An important consideration for patients is that those who have already been vaccinated against COVID-19 and whose health remains intact can protect themselves against serious harm by stopping now. It is up to doctors and patients to uphold the social contract of the doctor-patient relationship and take medical prudence and patient safety into their own hands. The World Medical Association, Declaration of Geneva, Physicians Pledge states, The health and well-being of my patient will be my first consideration. I will maintain the utmost respect for human life. I will practice my profession with conscience and dignity and in accordance with good medical practice. I will respect the autonomy and dignity of my patient. I will not use my medical knowledge to violate human rights and civil liberties, even under threat. World Medical Association. Declaration of Geneva, 1948. Further reading. There is no scientific foundation to the concept of vaccine passports, according to huge group of doctors from around the world. Doctors around the world unite to call the COVID vaccines unnecessary, ineffective and unsafe. So by getting boosters, the biggest takeaway there, um, by, by repeatedly shooting yourself up with these experimental jabs, um, you're going to be releasing more and more and more and more spike proteins into your system um, <clears throat> that are are basically scarring up your blood vessels and, and causing them to leak. So it's just, you're begging for a disaster is really what I'm kind of getting at. Not to mention, where does it end? Like, w- when or where does it end? Because what's to stop a, a booster, you know, four times a year is basically what I see them rolling out. And so if you're going to be injecting yourself with this experimental cocktail of God knows what four times a year, 
<laughs> and we've heard doctors basically tell us that your life expectancy goes down by 15% with every shot. Well, holy smokes. The end game is a quick, it's a quick end game. If you're going to be getting four shots a year, aren't you? Isn't it, friends? Anyway, let's get this show started. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Welcome back, my friends. Um, what I want to do next is I want to turn your attention over to a very good compilation of uh, something we've been screaming on this show since, jeez, uh, how many, probably 18 months now we've been we've been saying that there's no record of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We, we've been following Christ, uh, uh, Christine Massey on this show since she came forward and, and basically told all Canadians that... Uh, no level of the Canadian government can has can prove that they've isolated a purified sample of SARS-CoV-2. <clears throat> so what we're going to do is we're going to listen to this video together. Um, it's about 17 and a half minutes long, so it's fairly long. But it's a great, uh, great compilation of basically what we've been saying for a very, very long time. So let's uh, let's get to it in medical background so I'm able to read uh, the literature and and understand what things uh, or what. And so I started looking at the articles where they say that they've discovered a novel coronavirus. And what I uncovered is that they put forth this experimental criteria that proves the existence of a virus. But when you take a closer look, it's actually the experiment itself that gives them the proof they need, even if you don't even have any source of a virus in the experiment at all. 
And this was actually carried out recently by uh, Dr. Stefan Lanka in Germany, who showed that he got the same proof of a virus by doing the experiment without any source of a virus whatsoever. The dying of cells in the test tube we can create in the same manner without infected material. And then they're calling their dying cell tissues an isolate, which then they offer on the market for 2,000 euros. And then they say, and in here, and this is the virus. And from that, we can create a vaccine now. My co-author, Torsten Engelbrecht, made a point of contacting those authors who had claimed to have first identified or isolated the purported virus to see if they had purified samples. We published our findings in the recently released updated version of Virusmania, and as many of you will know, none of the study authors claimed to have obtained the virus in purified form. The most important paper written on the COVID-19 situation by Kristen Drosten and others on where he got the genome or where he got the PCR segments that they're using in their test. And he says, and I'm quoting here, we aim to develop and deploy robust diagnostic methodology for use in public health laboratory settings without having virus material available. Now, I don't know how much clearer they can make it that they never actually had possession of a virus. They never had possession of a genome. A CDC document titled Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2 from Patient with Coronavirus Disease United States describes the process of what they call isolation of the COVID virus. The process starts with a swab taken from a male Chinese patient in Washington, D.C. in January of 2020. They did this in a way where they had basically fragments of genetic material from whatever would be in someone's lungs who was sick, which would be a lot of different things. And there turns out that there's like 56 million individual little fragments of RNA and they sequence those and we don't know where any of those individual fragments are from because we didn't get it from a virus. After acquiring the sample, substances were added to the mix. Among the substances added to the unpurified sample were Vero cells, which are kidney cells from a green monkey. They also added human liver cancer cells, human embryonic kidney cells, human lung cancer cells, and fetal bovine serum. The mixture was then put into an incubator and later tested for cell damage. This cell damage they call a cytopathic effect and is assumed to be caused by the presence of a virus. It turns out that the only cells which were damaged were the Vero cells or the monkey cells. None of the human cell lines showed the cytopathic effects. In other words, only monkey kidney cells grew the virus. But as Dr. Lanka had discovered, no swab sample was required to produce the same cytopathic effects, just this witch's brew of substances added in the CDC's experiment. Next, they took samples from the damaged cell culture, enough, they say, to span the genome of the virus, but the genome at this point had not been mapped, so how did they know its length? Enter GenBank, a reference library of all known viral genomes. So they pull out these sequences, and then of course, they, they're they not 
a continuous sequence. So how do you piece them together? So basically a computer runs for several days trying to piece these things together in some theoretical framework that fits the parameters of whoever set up the operation. So they say, oh, well, it's going to have a spike protein um, and it's going to be at this point. So then the computer fills in sequences, who knows where they're from, that were from, you know, somebody's snot. And then when there's missing gaps, the computer just makes it up. Like they may pull it from something in a database from another virus uh, or just generate it uh, based on a pattern uh, recognition algorithm, right? So essentially it's just a theoretical model and sometimes it's even referred to in the literature as an in silico model, right? Meaning that it's made in a computer on circuitry. It's not a real genome of a real organism. And and anyone that you know purports it to be, they should just simply look at the methods. Um, and and this is roughly called next generation uh, sequencing. When the computers had rendered their results, the data was quote interpreted manually or more commonly using qualitative software by suitably trained interpreters. In other words, a panel and a computer tweak the final results. Let's recap the CDC's virus isolation procedure. They start with a swab from a person with symptoms. Then they add several toxic substances. Then they observe that monkey cells became damaged. They assume the damage was caused by not just a virus, but a human virus. Then they choose a virus from GenBank that they think it might be similar to. Then they run several computer algorithms to make the data fit that model. A panel of experts tweaks the final result to publish what will come to be known as the SARS-CoV-2 Complete Genome. I started submitting Freedom of Information requests to Health Canada and other Canadian institutions to see if they had any real SARS-CoV, any evidence of real SARS-CoV-2 isolation. My requests were specifically worded to weed out the papers that I claim to have isolated, but in fact performed what I call fraudulent monkey business. So far, the following Canadian institutions have responded. Health Canada, National Research Council of Canada, the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization-International Vaccine Centre at the University of Saskatchewan, which had claimed to have isolated the virus. McGill University, the region of Peel, where I used to live, the city of Toronto, University of Toronto, Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, McMaster University, and Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. Note that researchers from the last four of those institutions had already publicly claimed to have jointly isolated the virus, and at least two of them are involved in COVID-19 vaccine development. Now, if we go back to our dictionary definition of isolate, which is to obtain a substance or microorganism in an uncombined or pure state, we can see that people are confused or at least talking about very different things because nobody has produced an uncombined or pure state sample. Other investigators were also aware of the inconsistent ways in which isolation was being used. Here in New Zealand, the media reported in mid-2020 that Professor Quinone Matteau of Otago University was able to grow the SARS-CoV-2 virus and isolate its RNA, its genetic material. 
However, Canadian researcher Christine Massey and New Zealander Michael S have been submitting freedom of information requests to health institutions around the world. When they made an official Information Act request to Otago University, they were advised that the university in fact had no records of any study describing the actual purification of the alleged virus. Okay, it's time to get some more lessons from Professor Racaniello to see if a representative from the orthodoxy can tidy up their mess. He says, an isolate is a virus that we have isolated from an infected host and we have propagated that in culture. You put that sample in cells and culture, which is how we grow viruses. And you grow virus and now you have an isolate. Alright, I think we might have hit some major problems here. He's implying that someone spits in a cup and if you mix it with a cell culture, hey presto, we've isolated a virus. That doesn't sound like isolation at all because we're dealing with samples and culture mediums that contain all kinds of substances without any mention of purification. With regards to this, in Virus Mania we quote Nobel Laureate Virologist Francoise Barre-Senoussi as saying, you have to purify the virus from all this mess. Professor Racaniello goes on to say that most of the time we take this nasopharyngeal swab in the solution, we just do the genome sequence and we don't actually have a physical isolate virus and that's very important. Okay, so that's a big concession. He admits many of these so-called isolates are simply detecting genetic sequences from crude clinical specimens. Unfortunately, Professor Racaniello's discipline for terms really seems to fall apart when he goes on to say this is a phylogenetic tree of 4,000 or so genome sequences of SARS-CoV-2 isolates. But then he goes on to recover from this slip and state that the dots are individual genome sequences which may or may not have an isolate associated with them. But can you see the major problem here? Detecting nucleic acid sequences does not equate to proof of a virus. In fact, the professor said so himself in his 2017 blog. Many laboratories choose to assay the presence of viral genomes by PCR. This is an acceptable technique, as long as the limitations are understood. It detects nucleic acids, not infectious virus. However, even with the professor's stricter definition of isolate, that of a culture mixture, he's still not referring to a purified specimen. The central question is how does any scientist, any virologist, prove that a quote new virus is the cause of any illness? The answer is surprisingly clear and straightforward. It also mimics how any normal human being proves the causation of anything. The first thing one does is to find a number of people who seem to suffer from the illness in question. This could be COVID-19, AIDS, Hep C, or any other illness. Then, using standard and common virological isolation and purification techniques, techniques that have been in common use in every virology lab for decades, one would isolate the virus from every other substance in the blood, sputum, or tissues of the affected person or animal. Using electron microscopy, one then shows the world the pure isolated particles called viruses from each of these people. 
All of the viruses should look identical. The next step would be to analyze the genetic material of these identical particles using commonly available computerized genetic sequencing tools, which have also been available for decades. These sequences should also be identical from one particle to the next. Finally, these isolated, purified, photographed, and sequenced viruses would then be introduced onto test animals along with rigorous and appropriate controls to see whether the test animals develop the identical illness that the original subjects had. Then and only then, once these steps have been performed, can we say with confidence that this new virus is the likely cause of this new illness. During this past year, I have spent countless hours looking for evidence that these simple steps were done for the illness called COVID-19 and that the virus called SARS-CoV-2 was properly isolated and characterized. To my shock and surprise, neither I nor anyone else I know looking into this issue has yet to find a single published study that even attempted to perform these simple and doable experiments. As shocking as this may be to hear, I now ask that if you dispute this, please make available the paper or papers that successfully did these simple experiments. So have particles that can only be seen on an electron microscope you know, been isolated in any context? And I would say yes. So they have found particles called bacteriophages uh, that live in black bacteria cultures in a pure culture in, in laboratory conditions. And also they have found uh, particles uh, of that size in other lower organisms like sea algae. Um, and, and I think they call those giant viruses actually. And those particles are quite interesting. Um, and I would encourage you, I, I, I wish I had thought of this before, to find some photographs of the microscopic images of these particles because they have very, very distinctive geometric forms. They don't just look like a, a round blob like the pictures of the alleged viruses that cause disease. We also have a communication from the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which is Anthony Felci's Institute, <laughs> indicating that the electron microscope images that they've published did not involve isolation of any virus. I'll read you what Pfizer says about their mRNA vaccine. Quote, the DNA template used does not come directly from an isolated virus from an infected person. Here's another quote. The DNA template, SARS-CoV-2, gene bank, et cetera, was generated via a combination of gene synthesis and recombinant DNA technology. So if this is a hoax that Pfizer doesn't have the virus as their template, and apparently Pfizer is in on the hoax. A casual reader, like a typical doctor who would, you know, see articles and curated by some organization like WebMD, they would just see the titles uh, of the article and they would think that the virus really was separated and isolated according to the, the definition of the word isolate that they know.
However, that's been completely obfuscated in these papers by coming up with this false definition of isolation, which really means to um, grow a toxic cell culture and then show cell damage. So there you have it, my friends. Uh, first account testimony from doctors from all around the world <clears throat> that are basically trying to figure out this whole mystery of SARS-CoV-2 and are they cannot find it. This is why the $1.5 million reward for a purified isolated sample of SARS-CoV-2 still stands. Nobody can claim it. There are, there, they can't even, the, like you heard the one doctor from the U.S. saying that they can't even find the papers for this. They can't even find the, the basically the documentation of an isolate. Now, this is the first time ever we've heard um, exactly how um, isolating a virus goes. Uh, it was explained to you in that last little clip. Well, they were trying to find the paperwork exactly like it was described by the, by the American doctor in this clip, and uh, they can't even find the paperwork. So... <clears throat> What is it that people are injecting into themselves to prevent this so-called virus that nobody has actually isolated? Because it's all based, you, you heard him talk about Pfizer saying that they didn't, they didn't use an isolated virus from an infected host. So what is it that they're actually injecting into, into people? <laughs> we have an idea. We have an idea what it is, a pretty much a 99% va a shot full of graphene oxide. If uh, the Spanish researchers that isolated a Pfizer shot, um, you know, the, the ingredients in a Pfizer shot, that's what they had to, had to tell us. But it's pretty much nothing else. They said it was like, what, 0.5% mRNA material carrying what? We don't know because we don't know what, we don't even know what this virus is. Like, like I said, nobody's isolated it. Now, because of this, there is an, an, a real grassroots pushback that is happening because this is appearing to be one big massive scam, 100%. Now, when you think of the state of our world right now, those of us that are holding out on this experimental shot are kind of watching absolutely everything closely. And the American frontline doctors came out the other day and uh, they basically laid the groundwork for anybody to, um, to file against government or, or medical institutions that are pushing these vaccines. So with, let's, let's listen to the pushback. Let's listen to the flip side of, of this entire mess. Um, this is just going to be one of those shows where I'm, I don't do as much talking as normal. We're going to be listening to just great, great clips from all around the world. But uh, let's turn it over to American frontline doctors and listen to this. This is about 10, 10 and a half minutes long. Conspiracy is a crime by itself often used as a predicate offense. It's uh, an agreement between two or more people to endeavor a crime, to plan a crime in one step in furtherance. What, what is the theory? It's what cops call probable cause. So the CIA came up with this term. It's neuro-linguistic programming. It's designed to make us feel like we're going to be excluded from the herd if we have our own independent thought. People are afraid of being outside of the herd. So it's easy to name somebody. You're a conspiracy theorist. I apologize for not introducing myself earlier. My name's Todd Callender, by the way. In my day job, I practice international law. And you'd be surprised how often it happens that criminal law becomes a part of international law. 
you'd be surprised also how far along this one world government thing is. So I live outside of the United States and I've had to participate in, how would you describe it, a regulatory burden, overcoming it. The OECD is the Organization for Economic and Cooperative Development. It is in fact the tax and fiscal policy arm of the United Nations. And they have done an amazing job a regulatory job. They have harmonized everybody's tax laws. They've harmonized everybody's criminal laws. They've put codes on every chemical, every diagnosis. And all of the world is now harmonized. So it makes my job as an international lawyer a lot easier because guess what? What works in this country works in every other country and it is all done by convention, by UN convention. Which, by the way, happened, the United Nations was formed more or less the same time as the Nuremberg Code, or the Nuremberg um, Trials. And I just want to spend a second on the Nuremberg Principles. I'm sure you've heard about it a little bit before. It arises from the atrocities of World War II, where prisoners were experimented upon, amongst other things. That all happened in 1945. And really what it created was the first principles, the first recognized principles of international criminal law. It also provided for death penalties, capital punishment. One of my colleagues had mentioned that, in fact, some of the doctors that took part in Nuremberg's uh, atrocities were hung, as were people that helped them. So no longer after the Nuremberg Code can you say, yeah, I shot him with a, with a vaccine. I was just doing my job. That doesn't work anymore. And just because you come from a country where the death penalty is not allowed also does not count. Our team, I'm part of the criminal team, not that we are criminals. We are helping people, regular old folks, um, take apart. So we recognized some months ago, maybe before that, that people were so frustrated they just wanted to do something, anything. They didn't have an outlet. So we came up with this idea that we would uh, write a form criminal complaint, make it form law, that anybody and everybody could download and they could use it for themselves. It's really just a, a foundational document, but it does list a lot of crimes, uh, and rightfully so, going back to the conspiracy theory as a predicate offense, you can find laws both in international law, meaning UN conventions and international agreements, multilateral agreements, that talk about things as war crimes. Can you wage a war by yourself or do you need somebody else to do that? Again, two or more people planning a crime in one step in furtherance. Crimes against humanity, that came out of the Nuremberg Convention, or Code, Codex, I guess it's called. Genocide, homicide, attempted homicide, criminal assault, criminal battery, fraud in connection with a major disaster for emergency benefits, and racketeering, all of which effectively require, not all of them, I should say that, most all of them require the predicate offense of conspiracy, that agreement between two or more people. So we wrote out this criminal complaint and with my colleagues who I'll introduce you to in a minute, we came up with um, all of those crimes alleged complete with extensive evidence. The story begins some years ago with something called the Good Club, where the ultra elite, supremely wealthy, including Bill Gates, 
Oprah Winfrey, sorry for all of you that love Oprah, Warren Buffett, they all got together in New York and they decided that the world is overpopulated. And you would have seen after that Bill Gates up on a stage no different than this one saying, yeah, the world's overpopulated, we got to get that, that carbon number down to zero. Well, this is the creation, the foundation of what it is we have today. Certainly they're not the first, but they are all eugenicists. And they openly stated that. So along comes then this uh, biological entity, funny enough, Event 201. Has anybody heard about that? So that was the practice run. It happened all of two months before we had the bioweapon released. So the, uh, the theory of the case goes something along these lines. Conspirators planned, invented, created a biowarfare weapon in joint collaboration with the Chinese government or some part thereof to purposefully release the COVID weapon to cause terror, economic hardship, depression, false imprisonment, injury, death to the global population, and psychological warfare, all under this word called a pandemic. We call it plandemic. It required complicitors who used their media apparatus for the purpose of public policy, coercion, travel restrictions, employment restrictions, liberty restrictions, all in furtherance of a criminal enterprise, to trick, to coerce, to intimidate, to compel global populations into receiving one or more experimental gene therapy shots. I think you all understand that. These are not vaccines. They're not vaccines by definition, and certainly they are experimental. Going back to the Nuremberg Code, which is uh, patently illegal to say, actually to say nothing at all, right? Informed consent is one of the deals that you have to do. Uh, how can you have informed consent when the inserts to the package, I don't know if anybody ever seen that? Uh, they pull out the, the box, the vial comes in and pull out the, in, the insert. There's nothing on it. So how can you have informed consent? How can you understand what is in this experimental shot if there's literally nothing at all printed on the paper? They used the experimental gene therapy shots, in addition, for the delivery of nanoparticles, lipid nanoparticles. What is that? If you can imagine these are atomic-sized delivery devices and they carry around, I guess it's called proteins, viruses, whatever it is, antigens, designed to make your body react in a certain way. They use nanoparticles to genetically modify, track, record, provide signals intelligence, programming, and complete control over humanity. And completion of the crime, the criminal enterprise, is to tag, track, code, rate, measure, restrict, manipulate, dominate of every person and their rights on this planet. That's the theory of our case. Has anybody ever heard of Agenda 21, the agenda for the 21st century? Again, going back to international law, multilateral convention. Uh, it started really 1994 in the Rio conventions. We're going to save the planet. Save the planet because humans are the cause of all the ails that we have here. Anthropogenic uh, destruction. 
So out of that climate accord um, came, a, again, a series of multilateral treaties, treaties generally known as Agenda 21 uh, and now Agenda 2030. I'm sure you've heard the, the buzzword, sustainable development. So sustainable development requires, guess what? None of us. We're not sustainable. There are three primary missions, Agenda 21. One, the elimination of private property rights. Communism is what that is. Two, the elimination of borders. You can see that there was mass migration around Europe. We have mass migration happening here. That really means loss of sovereignty, all in furtherance of this one world government that is largely in place as it is right now. Item three is a massive reduction in the world's population. That sure sounds like a plan, a criminal one, in fact. And that's why this is all based on conspiracy. So we, as private citizens, cannot prosecute crimes ourselves exactly. However, for crimes against humanity, there is something called universal jurisdiction. What does that mean? It means the crimes are so heinous, so intolerable to society, that anybody has the right to investigate the crime Anybody has the right to report that crime, and any court, any law enforcement body, any legislature on the planet has the right to pursue that crime. So we're here as lawyers trying to help people. We created this form criminal complaint, and people have downloaded it more than 12,000 times, so I've come to find. Thank you. We have cases going forward, and uh, as I understand it, South Africa, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, and now the Western United States. So that's where it ends, my friends, but <clears throat> you can see why that's very important because what we've kind of done in this show is give you the, um, the tools if you are feeling, uh, like as you heard him say, uh, anybody has the right uh, to investigate uh, international crimes against humanity. You have the right to file. You have the right to... To, uh, you have the right to hear, have your voice heard in this because it, it's affecting absolutely every one of us. So I, I recommend that you go on to America front, America's Frontline Doctors and find this paperwork and keep it handy because the more, pe the more people that file these, the better off we are. Now, the one he's talking about in Canada is, of course, Rocco Galati's. And um, so we are following that one on this show. There has been no update since the last show where we kind of brought you the news of what he's been doing. Uh, of course, the wheels of justice grind are sl turned slowly. So uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting for these cases to, you know, to produce results, there's going to be non nonstop uh, stripping of your rights. Um, you know, living in what, what we're living through right now is just, it's, it's unprecedented times, my friends. Um, you know, there's a couple articles that I have open, um, but I do want to kind of just bring it back home and just because Saskatchewan's in the forefront right now, Saskatchewan has kind of blown every other province out of the water for it's just unbelievably like Orwellian measures, draconian measures that they've, they've put through under the guise of an emergency declaration. Uh, they basically, uh, passed the war act in Saskatchewan and I've got a, an article from LifeSite News that does a great summary. Summary. Now we have covered this in in a previous show, but we're we're just going to do it again because this is just unprecedented. I just want I just want a lot of people you know that are, listen to the show that are not from Saskatchewan or the Scatch, 
Um, you just you, you have this has to be reiterated because it's unbelievable um, what is what is happening. And I'm sure this is going to follow. Uh, every other province is going to do what Saskatchewan did first. Why our government chose to do this first, I don't know. It doesn't really matter who did it first. But I think this is uh, a warning for the rest of the provinces of what is coming. Uh, the title reads, Canadian province issues new COVID rules that let government seize private property. Saskatchewan officials may authorize the entry into any building or on any land without warrant by any person in the course of implementing an emergency plan. This was written September 22nd uh, by Anthony Murdoch. A Canadian provincial government enacted Orwellian-like emergency powers in the name of fighting COVID that allow for officials to detain or remove people without a warrant and seize personal property, property at will. Under new health orders, the Saskatchewan Ministry may authorize the entry into any building or on any land without warrant by any person in the course of implementing an emergency plan. The government is also afforded the power to cause the evacuation of persons and the removal of persons or livestock and personal property from any area of Saskatchewan that is or may be affected by an emergency and make arrangements for the adequate, adequate care and protection of those persons or livestock and the personal property. The new provincial emergency order on the, under the Emergency Planning Act was signed September 13th by Premier Scott Moe. The orders were announced by the Saskatchewan Ministry of Health. According to the Ministry of Health, the new orders are needed to provide for health system labour mobility through greater flexibility in uh, scheduling and redirecting healthcare workers in areas com experiencing capacity pressures and in the use of supplementary resources. The new emergency health powers allow the government to assume direction and control of the emergency response of a local authority. They also give the government the power to acquire or utilize any real or personal property that the minister considers necessary to prevent, combat, or alleviate the effects of the emergency. As a part of this order, the government reactivated the terms of a letter of understanding with the Saskatchewan Health Authority and a slew of provincial unions, including the Saskatchewan Union of Nurses and Health Sciences Association of Saskatchewan. The letter of understanding spells out how the government can force the temporary rede redeployment of healthcare uh, employees to meet the anticipated increase in COVID-19 healthcare needs. Every person residing in Saskatchewan is mandated by law to follow the new emergency orders or face severe penalties or possible jail time. The new orders came about after a government uh, declared a fourth wave of COVID-19 spurred by the Delta variant. The province with a population of around 1 million currently says 262 people are in hospital due to COVID-19. On September 17th, Dr. Shahib Shahab, the province's chief medical health officer, issued a mandatory interim isolation and face covering order to, as a stopgap uh, stop until the province's vaccine passport comes into effect in October. More recently, uh, said his government was too patient with those who have not had the COVID jabs while introducing the vaccine passport. Moe's words against the unvaccinated also included a line, although he never wanted to implement a vaccine passport, his patients have come to an end with the unjabbed. Starting October 1st, one must show proof of vaccination or a negative test to eat indoors, go to entertainment venues, attend conferences or large events, or participate in indoor fitness centres. All Canadian provinces have for a long time had the power to enact such draconian rules, which in effect limit people's rights in a time of emergency. 
but using a health emergency to do so is unheard of in modern times. The province of Alberta also recently declared a public emergency under its Public Health Act like Saskatchewan. The government can enter buildings without a warrant or seize personal property. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, despite promise, promising his province would be, would be open for good, introduced a COVID-19 vaccine passport recently. He has also enacted new rules banning unvaccinated people from gathering in their private homes. John Carpe, president of the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, said that by virtue of the Kenny government limiting the fully jabbed to indoor social interactions of no more than 10 people, the government acknowledges the vaccinate, that vaccinated people are spreaders of the virus. <coughs> what evidence does the government rely on for its belief that unvaccinated people are worse spreaders of the virus than vaccinated people? Carpe said in a statement sent to LifeSite News. Premier Kenny has joined Prime Minister Trudeau in scapegoating, demonizing, and vilifying the minority of unvaccinated individuals. The COVID-19 injections approved for emergency use in Canada, including the Pfizer jab for, age, for ages 12 and up, all have connections to, cell derives, to cells derived from aborted babies. All four have also been associated with possible severe side effects such as blood clots, rashes, miscarriages, and even heart attacks in young, healthy men. The list of FDA-recognized adverse events has grown from severe anaphylactic reactions to include fatal thromb uh, thrombotic events, the inflama uh, inflammatory heart condition called myocarditis, and neurologically disabling diseases like Jillian-Barr syndrome. Meanwhile, the CDC reported a COVID-19 infection survival rate of greater than 99.95% for those under the age of 50. It goes on to tell you, and actually I'm going to repeat this, uh, if you want to contact Premier Scott Moe and just let him know what you think of this, um, his telephone number is 306-787-9433. His, his email is premier at gov.sask.ca. Now, I myself have, have actually emailed this uh, fascist fuck on a, on a couple of different occasions. And uh, just so you're forewarned, you're going to get the runaround from them. They aren't going to answer you. And they, uh, if your MLA, you know, you can contact your MLA about this too. Your MLA will reach out to you and tell you all about uh, basically how they had to combat the unions. That's what mine did. Um, <clears throat> Daryl Harrison, uh, a very pleasant man, but uh, just kind of clueless of, if you want my honest opinion, he's completely clueless of what's actually happening. Uh, with this with this legislation, which is exactly what they want politicians. They don't want them to have a clue at all. But anyway, if you live in the sketch and you want to talk to uh, or you want to at least bug uh, Scott Moe about his fascistic behavior, uh, then call that number or email him. Now let's let's get on to uh, just another article here that is very interesting to say the least because uh, it kind of exposes um, what the military, kind of did during this pandemic. Now, this comes to us by way of the Ottawa Citizen, and the title reads, Military leaders saw a pandemic as a unique opportunity to test propaganda techniques on Canadians, Forces Report says. This is by David Pugilis, uh, written September 27th, uh, 2021. Canadian military leaders saw the pandemic as a unique opportunity to test out propaganda techniques on an unsuspecting public, a newly released Canadian Forces Report's report concludes. The federal government never asked for the so-called information operations campaign, nor did cabinet 
authorize the initiative developed by the COVID-19 pandemic by the Canadian Joint Operations Command. They headed, uh, then headed by Lieutenant uh, General Mike Rollo. Like fuck they didn't have, like they, like fuck the federal government wasn't involved. Like uh, trying to separate these two, these two entities, uh, no. No, we all know that they work hand in hand, along with big tech. But whatever, we'll just ignore that. But military commanders believe they didn't need to get approval from higher authorities to develop and proceed with their plan. Retired Major General Daniel Goslin, who was brought in to investigate the scheme, concluded in his report. The propaganda plan was developed and put in place in April 2020, and even though the Canadian forces had already acknowledged that information operations and targeting policies and doctrines are aimed at adversaries and have a limited application in a domestic concept, a copy of the December 2nd, 2020 uh, Goslin investigation, as well as others, other related documents, was obtained by this newspaper using the access to information law. The plan devised by the Canadian Joint Operations Command, also known as CJOC, rely, uh, relied on propaganda techniques similar to those employed during the Afghan war. The campaign called for shaping and exploiting information. CJOC claimed the information operations scheme was needed to head off civil disobedience by Canadians during the coronavirus pandemic and to bolster government's messages about the pandemic. A separate initiative not linked to the CJOC plan, but overseen by the Canadian Forces Intelligence Officers, called information from public social media accounts in Ontario. Data was also compiled on peaceful Black Lives Matter peaceful Black Lives Matter gatherings and BLM leaders. Senior military official officers claimed that information was needed to ensure the success of Operation Laser, the Canadian Forces' mission to help out in long-term care homes hit by COVID-19 and to aim in the distribution of vaccines in some northern communities. <clears throat> BLM organizers have questioned why military officials gathered information on their initiative, pointing out that they followed pandemic rules and did not hold any gatherings outside LTC homes. Then Chief of Defense Staff uh, General John Vance shut down the CJOC propaganda initiative after a number of his adversaries questioned the legality and the ethics behind the plan. Vance then brought in Gosling to examine how CJOC was able to develop and launch the propaganda operation without approval. Gosselin's investigation discovered the plan wasn't simply an idea of passionate military propaganda specialists, but support for the use of such information operations was clearly a mindset that perme uh, permeated in the thinking at many levels of CJOC. Those in the command saw the pandemic as a unique opportunity to test out such techniques on Canadians. The views put forth by Rear, uh, Rear Admiral Brian uh, Santarpia, then CJO, CJOC's Chief of Staff, summed up the command's attitude, Gosselin noted in his report. This is really a learning opportunity for all of us and a chance to start getting information operations into our CFAD DND routine, the Rear Admiral stated. The command saw the military's pandemic response as an opportunity to monitor and collect public information in order to enhance awareness for better command decision making, Gosselin determined. Gosselin also pointed out CJOC, CJOC staff had a, a palpable dismissive attitude towards the advice and concerns raised by other military leaders. 
The directive for the propaganda plan was issued by CJOC on April 8th, 2020, but it took until May 2nd of that year before Vance's order to shut it down took effect. Gosselin recommended a comprehensive review of Canadian Forces information, operations, policies and directives, particularly those that may impact any activities for domestic missions. There is an ongoing debate inside uh, National Defence Headquarters in Ottawa about the use of information operation techniques. Some public affairs officers, intelligence specialists and senior planners want to expand the scope of such methods in Canada to allow them to better control and shape government information that the public receives. Others inside headquarters worry that such operations could lead to abuses, including having military staff intentionally mislead the Canadian public or taking measures to target opposition MPs or those who criticize government or military policy. Military propaganda training and initiatives within Canada over the last year have proved to be controversial. <clears throat> the Canadian forces had to launch an investigation after a, a September 2020 incident where uh, when military information operations staff forged a letter from the Nova Scotia government uh, warning about wolves on the loose in a particular region of the province. The letter was inadvertently distributed to residents, promoting panic calls to, panicked calls to Nova Scotia officials who were unaware the military was behind the deception. The investigation determined that uh, reservists conducting the operation lacked formal training and poli uh, policies governing the use of propaganda techniques and were not well understood by the soldiers. Yet another review centered on the Canadian Forces Public Affairs Branch and its activities. Last year, the branch launched a controversial plan that would have allowed military public affairs officers to use propaganda to change attitudes and behaviors of Canadians, as well as to collect and analyze information from public social media accounts. The plan would have seen staff move from traditional government methods of communicating with the public to a more aggressive strategy of using information warfare and influence tactics on Canadians, including among those tactics was the use of friendly defense analysis and retired generals to push military PR messages and to criticize on social media those who raised questions about military spending and accountability. The Canadian forces also spent more than $1 million to train public affairs officers on behavior modification techniques of of the same sort used by the parent firm of Cambridge Analytica. Oh boy, that's just great because my information was stolen by Cambridge Analytica <clears throat> from Facebook. The company implicated in a 2016 data mining scandal to help Donald Trump's U.S. presidential election campaign what the fuck kind of missing? What is this? Is propaganda right here? This is probably written by the fucking Canadian military. What the fuck was that? <laughs> Let me tell you the notification that I got from Facebook that Cambridge Analytica stole my information and sold it to God knows who, probably the Canadian military. Um, it had nothing. It was before Donald Trump. What the? Oh my God. This is, this is such a bullshit article. Anyway, <clears throat> I shouldn't say article, but that statement right there was just stupid. Oh boy. The initiative to change military public affairs strategy was abruptly shut down in November after this newspaper revealed details about the plan. A military investigation determined what the Canadian Forces Public Affairs leadership was doing in uh, incompatible with the Government of Canada communications policy and the mission and principles of public affairs. None of the public affair leader, uh, affairs leadership was disciplined for their actions. 
several months ago, acting chief of defense staff, uh, general Wayne Erie and uh, DND Deputy Ministry Deputy Excuse me Deputy Minister Jody Thomas acknowledged in an internal document that various propaganda initiatives have gotten out of control, errors conducted during domestic operations and training, and sometimes insular mindsets at various echelons have eroded public confidence in the institution. Noted a June 9, 2021 message signed by Erie and Thomas. This includes the conduct of IOs Information Operations on a domestic operation without explicit CDS DM direction or authority to do so, as well as the unsanctioned production of reports that appear to be aimed at monitoring the activities of Canadians. So just a brief, um, a brief inside look into the basically the two sections of our own military, just like the US military, just like our government, uh, just like anything else, we've got basically globalists within our own military that are using their power for, for um, bad, basically. Like, if, if you're going to start spying campaigns on the people, like, you're going to use the Cambridge Analytica uh, example, and you're going to start do, r- running programs like that on the Canadian public? Holy, you want to talk about erosion of trust. The good factions of our military need to get a hold of this. Now, we know that uh, Trudeau has purged uh, our top, basically, patriotic... Um, generals from every avenue anybody that wouldn't pledge allegiance to him is already gone so reports like this shouldn't surprise you uh because now we have um globalist loyal loyalists within our own military and and as you guys know fourteen thousand of our servicemen and women at at on every level of our military have walked out because of the um, uh, vaccine mandates so who's left who's left when you really start thinking about it people that are willing to sacrifice their own health uh you know i I get that some a lot of people probably took took the jab in the military because the military is their career and to that i'm you know i'm fine with people taking the jab for the right reasons you know um but if you're rolling over because now you're being coerced on a level that you is you know they're turning up the heat and you're rolling over already when they're they're only locking you out of the the non-essential services um come on man like, come on, a lot of a lot of people were screaming patriot. And now a lot of those people have rolled over already. Like, and let me let me just touch on something. They wouldn't implement a vaccine passport like this if it was just going to be on non-essential services. You and I fucking know damn well that they are implementing this because they're going to lock us out of absolutely everything. So that that uh, liberal insider leak that called all this stuff that we're seeing now was bang on on point. It called it to a T. So basically, people better start, better start waking the fuck up and realizing that it's going to get to the point where if you are unvaccinated, they might actually in, try and round us up and put us in internment camps. So what are we going to do when it comes to that stage, my friends? What are we going to do? Anyway, <clears throat> I hate ending on a, on a negative note like that, but it, it's, it's something to see that our own military has these corrupt sons of fucks in 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 it you know like it just blows your mind you know a a lot of us put the put a lot of our trust in the military but like the canadian military basically has just been purged and anybody that has any value in their own belief system is now gone and think about that for a minute when you think about fourteen thousand people walked off the job well those are people that have strong internal beliefs of you know basically having dominion over their own body that just walked off the job 
it's it's <clears throat> it's unprecedented times, my friends. So it's it's important that you know not every single podcast I put out is going to make everybody happy and feel all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> we have to be prepared. When you look at how quickly we have gone into fascism, into communism in this country, and it's and it's willfully accepted by the majority, it, it's it's staggering that we're going down this path. History is repeating itself. We are watching it. So I guess every now and then we're going to end on a sour note, but it's good to get a swift kick in the ass every now and then so that people realize, holy shit, you know, uh, it's not going to be enough to just, to just, uh, go along with the flow because what else, what's going to happen? So now, like, you know, I've been screaming it from the rooftops for forever that every, every 90 days, people are going to have to get injected. Well, Israel has a whole, has about a million people that are refusing to get the third jab. So now they're cut out of that, the, the, uh, vaccine passport in Israel. So do you think it's going to be any different in Canada? So let's say you went along for this ride, you listen to the show and you got the injection, which is fine. You, you know, if you, if you got it at the very beginning, thinking it was all about health, I totally get it. I, I, and I also, even though I'm kind of bitching the people out that are flipping now, I still get it. I get the coercion. I get the fact that you, you, you know, it's threatening your employment. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet without it. And, and it could, there could come a point where it's going to threaten mine too. And until I'm put in that situation, I, 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 you know, it's starting to actually, I'm starting to be kind of, I can see it coming down the pike on, on my position. So we'll see. But in the end, we have to be prepared for what's coming. You, you need to have a group of people that you can rely on if they come to get you. <laughs> now, I don't know what I'm suggesting. I would, I would, I would just say like, you know, you, it would be smart to have a bug out bag. Like we've heard people in this country say, and be prepared that you may have to leave. You might have to be a fugitive. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But with, with how fast this is moving along, it's, it's getting scary indeed, my friend. So on that note, let's end this one. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me at Canadian Patriot Radio on Facebook. Use the message, message button if you want to talk to me for any reason at all. If you prefer email, it's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. Um, I would encourage everybody listening to the show to join the Telegram group because there's continual information being shared there. Uh, and don't just join. Uh, please, please contribute. If you've, if you've got something to say, if you've got articles that you think that need to be on the show, uh, use that platform to, to uh, you know, get it in front of me. Um, and then if, if none of that is the way you want to go, then uh, please uh, visit the website at CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. With all of that being said, my friends, every now and then it's good to get a swift kick in the butt and start preparing for whatever, whatever path we're on right now. Um, even though, you know, you are starting to see successful pushback, but like I said, the, the wheels of justice turn very slowly, and in the time that they're turning, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. Um, I live in the Scatch in basically draconian measure central, and uh, my premier is just gone completely off the rails. So I'm a little bit more alert at what what they're capable of. Um, and you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to target people just like me first. So if all of a sudden the Canadian Patriot Radio uh, <laughs> podcast stop, there's a very good chance I might be in an internment camp or might be gone. <laughs> anyway, my friends, until next time, with all thy sons, command.
for joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care. Thank you.